Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I'm your host, as always, Stephen Murphy. Uh, after a good weekend here with the boys, uh, I'm hungover. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, uh, so bear with me through this one. Uh, I'm emotional as best of time, so recapping this Connacht game is going to push me over the edge, I think. Uh, but I'm here with the boys. as said, Westy, how are you? How was your weekend? How was, how was the game Friday? You were there. The boys were there. Tell us, talk us through it. Were we there? I, th- I thought we just, we went up to Dublin, um, we had a few lovely pints, and, you know, people couldn't have been more courteous. Uh, and that's all. That's all I really have to say about it. How much was the pints? Oh, man. Disgraceful carry-on. Creamers, were they? Getting a pint of lovely Guinness, brewed a stone's throw from the pub we were in. That's six fifty a pint. Blasphemy. Absolute blasphemy. Uh, but yeah, the, the game itself, Westy, was it a good atmosphere? Was there a bit of crack? Do you know what? It, like... It was it was a tough game to be at, obviously being uh, you know with the scoreline the way it went. I've never been in the Aviva before as a as, as an away fan, which was a really interesting experience. Um, but no, look, and I think over like it was a beautifully sunny day. We were having a few drinks. We'd had lunch already. We'd been to the zoo that morning, so we were in high spirits. Um, and like the, we were in a pit of Leinster fans, but like everyone around us was pretty positive. Even when we did get up to celebrate our tries, there was no like. Oh, sure, you've lost anyway. Yeah, it was really, I think it was a really positive environment for the most part, like, as much as it could have been in context. And uh, Sam, how was the zoo? I want a zoo breakdown. The zoo was great. Uh, the daughter loved it. The uh, sea lions or the seals, you can go under the water and see them. They were class. Uh, African Plains was good. All about the red pandas, always have been about the red pandas. They were one of my favorite things to see at the panda sanctuary in China. And my daughter started, she makes this noise when our cat comes into the room. She goes, ah, like meowing at the cat. She started doing it with the pandas. And I was like, yeah, it's not the same, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> panda, panda watch. The, uh, the only downside to the zoo was because of we had to get up and I had to get back and leave her with my mom and dad in Dublin. We didn't have enough time. I would have, you know, could have easily done another hour or two. Maybe had some lunch there and stuff. But uh, oh, it's great. And the weather was beautiful the whole day, really. So kind of got blessed with uh, everything except for the... 80 minutes of rugby. Yeah, uh, I'm not a big zoo guy. I, the only thing I think would sway me if, like, if if they give like a, if they put a goat into the lion, you know, cage and just let it absolutely destroy it, then I think I'd I'd go watch that. You know what I mean? Kind of like Jurassic it, Park man. kind of thing. You can do it. you can do it. There was no safety checks. I I don't think there was any goat. <laughs> no, no goat checks whatsoever, which is just absolute disgrace. Uh, yeah, good weekend. I hope everyone had a good bank holiday weekend. I hope everyone's not as hungover as I am. Uh, but I was back. I was back in Kiavan for the weekend, so I uh, got to watch all the rugby though, which is great. Um, well, great is probably a loose term. Got to watch the rugby. Let's just say that. Uh, and we'll, we'll let's let's just get into it, lads. Connacht uh, losing to Leinster, fifty six points to twenty, which on aggregate was eighty two points to forty one. So a forty one point loss over the two legs. Um, and weirdly, Westy, five minutes in, I was like, it's on. The dream is very much alive. They started brilliantly. Got the three points early. Jack missed that three point second, and then after that, it really was just awful. Yeah, yeah. But even after, like, even after Jack starts the first three, it's a big smirk on his face, and we're all kind of like, "Oh my god!" Like it's gonna happen. Um, but yeah, it kind of all went downhill from that second penalty, didn't it? Like, uh, uh, Leinster were, of course, came out the blocks firing, like they're they're always a little bit more geared up for the for the European Cup, but. Um, they really ran riot around us. And what was really impressive about most of their attacks, especially the first try, the, the Gibson Park try, was just how many players make the break. I mean, they have like five options of players in support when I think, is it is it Lowe makes the initial break on the wing or is it maybe 
Josh Murphy makes an interesting break of the wing, pops into low, and then low into Gibson Park. But they've got so many options there, players tracking back. And um, yeah, we were pretty unfortunate to, to concede that when we did, because we were in a, in a phase of kind of building momentum. If we'd gotten the second penalty, maybe we would have kicked on a little bit. Um, but yeah, bad to worse, really. Like straight after that, we concede four more tries and two yellow cards. And then we slowly started to build back into the game, which was a... Um, yeah, look, it was it was good to see the guys stay in the fight. I, I was saying that all through the game, like we never really seemed to put our heads down and say, well, that's us out. Um, you know, we scored three tries in the second half. We did rally, like it just, obviously we had fallen behind too much at that stage. And yeah, I mean, problems in our defense are, are still pretty evident. Like we're, we're conceding two tries in the last 10 minutes as well. Like, so um, yeah, it went from bad to worse from that initial break. Yeah, trying to find the positive of the game. Like, you know, scoring 41 points over two games against Leinster isn't bad. Do you know what I mean? Like, 20 points a game is not nothing to be uh, ashamed of or like that. I, I totally agree. If the fight was there from, from minute one to the end, I think, unfortunately, I was having this discussion with my brother because uh, he wouldn't be the biggest rugby fan. But, uh, you know, Sam, I don't know if it's fair. Well, you, you can tell me if it's fair enough to say, but, you know, Connor can have the, the best tactics in the world, can have the right attitude and all that, but... Sometimes you just don't have the personnel to, to compete with a team like that. And I feel like with that Leinster team, so much has to go right for Connacht to even be competing. And it's it's quite sombering to see uh, that's the, the gap between the, the likes of Leinster and Connacht, isn't it? Yeah, and the, the, the Connacht lads won't you know, thank me for saying this, but that is a, it's a gap that exists. I was kind of trying to justify it to a couple of people who were like, Jews, Connacht got smashed. And I was kind of going, yeah, but if you look at the, the start of 15, there's 12 internationals and Ross Maloney and O'Brien, who are both in the international setup at the moment. The only non-international in the start of 15 is coming to Connacht next year, and who I thought if we hadn't been subbed off would have probably been man of the match. So there's a silver lining for you right there. And on the bench, they're all capped internationals, except for Kieran Frawley, who everyone wants to be a capped international and says he's probably good enough. So you're talking about a team of 23 there with 20-odd internationals in it, and you know, it's, it's, very, it, it's very hard to think the Connacht can overcome that unless everything's going right for Connacht and maybe there's a slip up from Leinster and that's just where we're at you know it's like sport is never going to be an even playing field and that's understandable we have to try and make the best of what we have and I think that 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 is the gap that exists I also think that Leinster were probably fired up quite a lot because all the other teams in the Champions Cup when the draw was made or when when the teams landed where they did and they got the draw for the, the round of 16 kind of looked enviously at Leinster thinking that they had the easiest draw and in the sports ground, we showed that it wasn't the easiest draw. And, you know, we held them to five points and they probably didn't like that too much and probably wanted to make a statement. Um, and then everyone kind of rallies around that from a Leinster point of view and plays brilliantly. Like, I think that they, they, they actually did just play exceptionally. It wasn't that they walked through us. They were playing really well. And by playing really well, they also stop Connick from playing well so you know you can come back at it afterwards and I've seen a lot of negative commentary being like oh Connick were shit Connick were this Connick were terrible defensively and I was kind of going they were but a lot of that is just to, down to how good Leinster were like there's a lot of missed tackles from Connick but there's a lot of missed tackles because Leinster were playing outstanding rugby that is very hard to defend against and you know there are a couple of individual errors but like Wesley said I'm proud of what they did I think that you know putting three tries on a Leinster that are, everything is going right, that doesn't happen very often. Like Leinster beating people 50-something nil or 50-something five a couple of times. So, you know, there, there are green shoots there. It just does show the disparity between the two teams. And it's 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 kind of, it is, like you said, sombering to feel that. But that is where we're at. You know, we were probably maybe a year early getting to the knockout stages of the Champions Cup and it might have been too soon. But I think that 
they can be proud of what they did and there's a lot of heart there and there's a lot of you know there's a lot of players that will take a lot from it there's a lot of players that want to learn uh friendly said it afterwards maybe the professionalism isn't quite there with all of the players i think you might see that in the next couple of months with some players that you'd be surprised aren't getting renewed contracts or going off after having good kind of careers maybe there's just that level of professionalism that we just don't have and there's players that have been there long enough in in times when it wasn't as professional and it's hard to shake that kind of mentality so all in all i think the scoreline doesn't look great you don't want that sort of scoreline in around a 16 tie and a knockout in the champions cup but you're playing against the leinster team that they they have eyes of winning it and they wanted to prove a point and they wanted to be fit and firing and that's by far the strongest leinster team we played since at least the pro 12 final if not even stronger and definitely the strongest leinster team they put out all season and with good reason that you know they they were able to do what they did there's quality like yeah, d- defensively, Wesley, I want to talk about that because I've seen the comments as well. And Connacht have shipped big numbers this year throughout the season. Does something need to be done with defensively, Wesley? Is it is it down to personnel? Is it is the system that needs to be looked at? Coaching? Because too often we're seeing the missed tackles. And I know Sam's correct. You know, you're up against an amazing team. But uh, does something need to change? Yeah, I think something probably does need to change. It's a tough one because you, you hear the coaches talk about it and they you know, I think Andy Friend said during a week that there's nothing wrong with the systems. It's it's about how we're how we're implementing them that's the problem. But um and I would agree with that to a certain point because you see a lot of the errors that come and even a lot of the lenser line breaks, like as good a line breaks as they are, they do seem to come from one up missed tackles. Um but I've said before on a pod that like just because someone is missing a tackle, all right, like first off, and I think Sam always talks about this is that one of our tactics is to shoot up and disrupt the play, right? So the, the goal isn't always to make the tackle, it's to put pressure on the passer. If you miss that tackle, the ball goes backwards and then the next tackle is made, right? That's one point. But the other one is that if certain individuals are having to make up for other individuals maybe not doing it, or if we're not fit enough to implement a game plan, or if one or two people are, aren't singing off that hymn sheet, then you find players being in positions that they're not meant to be in or haven't been training in because they're trying to make up for either somebody else or something else or something that's gone wrong, you know, especially when we're down to 13 men, like who's in a position that they're meant to be in at that stage. Um, so I think it's a mix of both. I think it's a, a mix of individuals as well as, as a game plan. You know, our coaches can say that the game plan will work as much as they want, but at the end of the day, like you have to work with the, the players that you have. So if you have a case where we're just not fit enough to, get around and cover that wing. If we're meant to have some sort of sweep and defense come around the back, then we have to adapt it, right? We start moving it out from the center. And I'm just using that as an example, but you can't necessarily say that the system is fine. The players just can't play it. It's like, well, that's hold on. Like you can't say that because you need to find a balance between what your players can do um, and what kind of systems that you're able to implement. So um, yeah, I'd love to give an easy answer, but I think, I think there's effort on both sides. And I think one of the things that they've, uh, pointed out during a week is is our professionalism and maybe that we're not preparing um, as professionally as you know maybe Leinster do or other teams do, um, and maybe that translates to attitude on, on the pitch when we're trying to implement these systems. But again, I think that it, it's a it comes from both sides. It, it it doesn't appear to me to just be one or the other because um, there seems to be too many gaps opening up for it to just be a case of you know X can't tackle or, or you know the system doesn't work you know. That uh, friendly's comments did they shocked me in a sense that I, I'm sure I'm not shocked that it's the case, but friendly isn't normally you know he doesn't normally kind of say stuff that would be uh, hurtful towards players or you know damning towards players. But um, he's obviously frustrated himself. The the, the comment was basically yeah that the Leinster prepare better, they're, they're better professionals and not necessarily better players. And Sam, that is. 
that's not good enough. Like one thing, you know, Lens are better players and all that, but preparing there's no advantages there. You should be able to prepare as well as anyone else, right? It's that's that's just down to personal effort. Yeah, and personal mindset. It they were shocking, but I think they were warranted because too many times Friendy has taken the kind of flack himself. He's very good at saying, "Look, this is on me. I've made the mistakes." You know, the the, the, the Edinburgh one, we shipped points, but that's on me. The positions were wrong, or players played out of position. And he's he's been saying that, you know, this is his third year of kind of saying that. And I think that, you know, I think it, it was warranted at the time. He's seen he's frustrated. You can see this. Sometimes it cuts to him in the sports ground and he's just shaking his head at some of the silly decision making that's made. There's so many times that we get one up runners isolated, given over ball or too many, you know, too many penalties given away, given easy possession. And I think that it, it comes to a time where he's going, no, look, you know, there's players there that they've they've been in and around for quite a long time. They're, they're brilliant Connacht players. You know, they've, they've great careers with Connacht and they've done a lot, but maybe that they're a little too comfortable and, you know, they need a fire lit under them because he's seen it. He's been coaching for 25 years. He's coached in the Olympics. He's coached, you know, super 14 he's coach, or super rugby. He's coaching in England. He's coached, you know, all, Japan, he's coached all over. He's seen the level of professionalism that's there. And he's kind of just, I think, enviously looking at Leinster, whereby you look at like, that Leinster team, yeah, it's full of absolute stars, but what makes them stars? You know, a lot of the players came through the same academies, but maybe it's a mentality thing that they have that they can take that step up and he's just, you know, you need to light a fire. And I think that if you look at some of the acquisitions he's brought in, I think he's very good at identifying attitude. Like we've seen Abraham Papali, we've seen TT Tuamanga, both look to shed a lot of weight very quickly as soon as they've got here and get up to speed, you know, quite quickly. We've seen Mac Hansen make huge strides straight up. Tom Daly has been a revolution for us. Sammy Arnold, Oliver have really good attitudes. They're all players he's brought in. And I think that that's something that he's quite good at doing is identifying like professionalism, identifying people that will you know, bring that level up. And you know, maybe it is time and it's, it's going to be difficult to hear, but maybe it's time for kind of wholesale changes to the wider squad. That will put us back to a situation where we'll be sitting here next year talking about it being a transition year, even though we said that this year. But that's what happens when you make wholesale changes. So I think if you look at the Leinster lads that we're bringing in, you know, you're hoping that their attitude is good. You hope we've identified like hungry players with a chip on their shoulder. And if you look at the four of them, I think all four make that match day squad. Three of them start. I think you probably have Dooley start. And I think, you know, Josh Murphy, based on how well he played at the weekend, probably starts. And Adam Byrne probably gets in on one of the wings there, maybe move Porch to fullback. And Hawkshaw would most likely be on the bench if you're going, especially 5'3 or 6'2 as a utility back, like definitely. So, I think that these are the sort of things that we're going to see in the next year or so. It's probably maybe a, a less recognisable group of players, but Friendy is the coach there with a lot of experience. He's very highly regarded by all the players we've spoken to. I've never heard anyone have a bad word about him. And I think that that, that shows now that he's just saying, look, I'm, I'm sick and tired of covering for you. You need to be as professional as Leinster because you can guarantee Leinster put their heart and soul into preparation all week to put a score on Connacht. They wanted to make a mark and that's what they did. And, you know, Carty's even said it today in the newspaper was reading. He echoed what Friendy said. He said, you know, I've seen better preparation in the last two weeks than I've ever seen at Connacht. And that's probably not good enough. You know, like he doesn't want to be saying we can only get up for a round of 16. Well, answer, you want to be getting up for every single game as professionally as possible. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to the wholesale changes. I think it'll be good. And we'll we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, we'll briefly touch on the decisions, Westy. Bundy yellow card, I think we're all agreed was a yellow. I'm happy it was a yellow. I don't think it was a red, personally. But what do you think? I don't think it was a red. I, I think it was a yellow. I've heard people say that it probably wasn't even a card. He hits the shoulder and 
and kind of slides up and there's not really any reckless, you know, there's nothing. It, it's kind of an unfortunate consequence now. He is of his bunny, so he's a little bit high in the way he tackles. But yeah, yellow is fair enough. Again, like I would say, I've seen it just be given as a penalty. Um, but it, echoing what we were talking about last week, I'm pretty happy that that was... Uh, that, that that was given as a yellow. Well, I'm not happy about it because I didn't want Bunny to get a yellow carded, but I'm I'm okay with the outcome. He hit him in the shoulder and slid up, and there was contact with the head, so it's a, it's a yellow card, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't. We can't. As I was, I had this discussion on Twitter. I think it's a it's an accidental collision with the head, and I, can't, I don't I just I don't think we should be giving out red cards for that. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's rugby at the end of the day. It's a contact sport. Stuff like that's going to happen. I was happy with yellow because it's a bit reckless. You know, when you, when you do slide up like that, that's fine. I I actually I was. At the time, devastated it was a yellow. But you know, going on, on my own attitude towards the Gibson Park one last week, I actually think I I think that I can't defend it not being a red. Personally, I think that I'm glad it was a yellow. And in the long run in rugby, I think that those challenges should be. But until you can make a definitive head contact was incidental rugby incident, all that sort of thing, I think that that head contact needs to be mitigated out by just being very strict on it because his body shape is too high, and it's it's unfortunate and unlucky that he hit Sexton. But I think that like I was last week given off about body shape and body like being too high for Gibson Park and saying he probably should have got a red as well but you know just that's by the letter of the law at the moment so I think Bundy I think Bundy is actually quite lucky that it was only a yellow in the long run in rugby I don't think they should be yellows but until you can get people's attitude changing and get the body heights lower because body height is too high in a lot of tackles I think that they need to be punished personally I think his, his body height is probably a little bit too high, but I would say that the stark contrast to me between the one in Gibson Park is that Bundy has bent. He has made an adjustment to his body shape. He is in somewhat of a realistic position. It's not a good enough position, but he has he has arched. He's down. Yeah. It's also it's the shoulder contact. Bundy doesn't hit Johnny in the head with a shoulder at all. No, it's his head. It's but... his own head, and it's where Gibson Park. It's head on shoulder. Oh, it's yeah. it's. I think yeah, I think Gibson Park is worse. I, I'm again. I, I I was happy enough that it was not a red card as well. And Gibson Park's offense, but I know what you mean, Sam. Like to to get to change people's attitudes, you're gonna have to go extreme in the one direction. To get to a stage where heads can't accidentally clash because they're nowhere near each other. You need to get lower. That's what I'm talking. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah. That's fair too. But uh, like, I was again having this discussion over the weekend. It's very. It's not tough. Well, it is tough, but and it, it's not unfair to ask these players. But Bundy hasn't playing rugby for how long now? Probably since he was only a child. Like you know, what I mean, he had this thing is ingrained in him. Trying to get change his you know muscle memory and change his attitude stuff is very tough. It's more for the nearly the next generation coming through that it'll be a lot easier like you know big papa we were saying coming from rugby league coming from his background it's very tough to change someone's you know attitude towards not 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 to have a bad attitude but they're you know when you're in the middle of a game and adrenaline's pumping and you know you resort to type it'll take a long time for it to happen i think with this crop of players but i think they will get there in the end but um yeah jack angels is just so mind-numbingly stupid uh, i wanted to punch a wall at the time because it was in a bit of a purple patch for Connacht. They had started to kind of string a few phases together uh, and he just, I think Westy, well, he just, the, the blood rushed to the head and it just didn't didn't work out well. Yeah, I actually think we're lucky that one wasn't a red because it's off the ball and he's standing upright. That, that's what I'm talking about. There was no change in his body position. He's standing upright, hits a guy in the head off the ball. Um, granted, okay, I, I liked to see the logic of last week brought in in that it was minimum force, so it wasn't given as a red. I think that was the logic Luke Pierce used. But, yeah, I thought we were lucky that wasn't a red. And it was, again, it was just us trying to generate quick ball and Angel, sorry, excuse me, Angier trying to make an impact when he came on the pitch. But as you say, we had, I think we had just scored. We were starting to kind of play well. Our tails were up a bit. And then going down to 13 men was just a, 
until he until he makes it up to me, he's back to being Anger. Okay, until he until okay. he proves himself again, then he can be Angier. But until then, it's Anger. Uh, Sam, yeah, Sam. I'm sure you have same sentiments. Just just really really stupid. I'm sure Friendy was just so frustrated with that. Really frustrating at the time watching. We were we were kind of building up into some sort of fight back, not necessarily to get back and win the game, but get back into it and just be competitive to the end and you know and and make the best of the bad home out past the ball. And I don't understand what was happening. Rush up to the head, maybe trying to force something, but yeah. Yeah, we'll move on to the other games. Uh, we'll cover um We'll talk about Connacht's trip to South Africa now after after we cover the rest of the games. Uh, Munster uh, got the win in Toman, 26 points, 10 over Exeter, winning on aggregate 34 points, 23. Uh, and this game went pretty much, I think, as we kind of call, Exeter didn't want to go to Toman uh, with a close game. And, you know, Munster were their typical kind of brilliant selves in Toman. Um, they were, cynic, you know, cynical at times. Um you know, getting away with stuff in, in rucks like they always do in Tobin. But look, that's 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 what happens. You have to prepare for that. Uh, and, you know, they get the 26 points, 10 win going forward. Uh, Westy, Exeter, they will be disappointed in themselves, aren't they? Like, I think we're all agreed Exeter are a better team than Munster, but they just couldn't put it together over the two legs and shooting themselves in the foot a lot. Yeah, well, they're, they're 2020 champions for a reason. And look, they haven't necessarily reached that height since, you know? Like, you know, we've seen... I think they're in fourth in the Premiership there, but they've kind of had a good last couple of weeks. They weren't going so well uh, at the start of the season. Um, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't want to sit here and say they're better than Munster, but I think they're far better than the two performances that they gave. I think, you know, we talked about last week how we kind of were a bit baffled by their tactics. It, it looked like, you know, all they wanted was to score drives because they wanted to be as far ahead as possible, but forgetting that you can also, you know, three points plus three points to three points adds up, you know? Um I was impressed. I thought Munster's attack was better. Um, I did think it was going to, especially even early on, they got like 6 nil up. I thought it was going to be, I was like, oh, Munster are going to kick everything and they're going to build up a lead and I went that way. But um, Dale Ende's try in particular, I thought was was very good. It was great work from Zebo. Um, so it's good to see Munster creating those opportunities. But I think as well, even even extra when when they wanted to score, they were good. Like their, their first try, okay, it's yellow card from Conor Murray and they kind of sneak over the line, but it's still a good, you know, taking of an opportunity that was there and a quick tap and go and getting the ball, you know, skill to get the ball down in, in a heavy traffic situation. But they just didn't really seem to have anything else that they didn't give last weekend. And then, like, you would think especially, like, they would have, you know, they'd be trying to play an accumulative point game now because, like, you know, you're already, you're six, five, six points ahead. Like, if you can keep the scoreboard ticking over, then that's all you need to do. And they seem reluctant to do it again. So I just think, I think Exeter will be disappointed with the account of themselves that they gave. Um, that's not to say again, in the first leg, Munster's defence was outstanding, really held them out a lot of opportunities. And Munster created a lot more chances uh, in Toman, which we kind of expected they would because it, it's it's Toman and they're at home. And like they, they are a very impressive side. Um, but yeah, I think, again, I don't want to say that I think Exeter are a better team, but I think they're better than that. Yeah, sure. definitely. No, I agree. Defensively, Munster have been fun. just they're elite uh, defensively, and they have, as we said last week. I think we said you know they have those kind of special players, the like of Azebo, the likes of Damon Dillander, that can create stuff out of nothing. Azebo, like that was just beautiful, and you could see that he he planned it out for the you know seconds before he went to the, the sideline, flicked it back in. That was beautiful. Um, and you know a huge, they have a huge advantage of being at Tomond, which they won't be when Toulouse come to town because good old Ed Sheeran is in Tomond Park the same day. 
So they have lost their home field advantage. They have to play in the Aviva now. Uh, Sam, how big of an impact is this going to have? This is not what Munster fans want. Um, poor planning, or is just the money is too important, or what? What happened there? Do we think? Yeah, it's it's just it looks like a poor decision made by the the kind of powers that be at home and the bookers for those sort of gigs. You know, I I I know the music industry quite well. That's booked well, well, well in advance. And the time of year for the Champions Cup quarters is different so maybe they didn't think there'd be a clash and then when the the, the readjusted format of the, uh, the tournament came out it, there was a clash but you know after covid you bring in as much money as you can and these sort of outsourced these, these uh extracurricular activities that are going on like concerts and stuff they're going to bring in money so i think it now backfiring on them and they're giving up home advantage they're giving up the Toman park thing which is Toman was most of the reason why they won at the weekend, you know, the, the being able to stay in the fight and get the game back to Toman, get that that monster heritage behind them and the belief of the fans and the all the steeped in history sort of thing. So they will, they'll rue that. Um, I hope for their own sake, they travel well to the Aviva and, and fill it red, you know, because it will feel like a bit of an away game for them. And there's a bit of hoodoo around the Aviva to, for them as well. So, you know, they want to kind of rally for that, but it's going to be very difficult to get people to travel. It's already difficult enough to get people to travel from like West Cork to, to home and for gig, for games and stuff. So getting people to travel to Dublin, you might have to stay up. That's an added expense. It's going to, everything's going to add up. So it will make it quite difficult for them. And it's, it's not the most ideal of circumstances. Looks like a really bad brain fart, but these gigs, you know, it's not like someone organized this gig in December. Like these gigs are organized a year in advance, if not more. You know, bookers for agents and bookers for the likes of MCD or Nakins or something, they'll have them booked for well over a year and it'll fall into a tour that's already existing. You know, he, I think he's playing uh, other gigs around uh, monsters at similar times. I can't remember, is it the Gaelic Grounds or something is getting, is, is being held for a gig or Parky Cueve is being held for a gig a week before, a week after. So that that's, just there's nothing you can do about it at this late stage there'll be you know clauses and contracts that it'll be thousands or you know if not close to millions to cancel those sort of gigs so it's never going to happen yeah it's just it's it's just a really bad <laughs> mix up because uh, Munster and Tolman are I said as we said different beasts altogether speaking of Toulouse they he broke Ulster hearts they broke my heart too being honest with you I really wanted to see Ulster go through um, I think most uh, fans did too uh, and they just yeah broke their hearts what a game though Westy t- these two games were just uh, so much fun to watch I wish these t- teams played every week uh, this is I was we were asked before this which which loss is better as a, as a fan the Ulster loss or the Connacht loss like I personally would nearly rather lose by 40 because at least there's no hope from the from the get go where Ulster you know I, I thought they were winning that up until five minutes to go well, they were running up until they got that red card. Um, but no, I, I personally, like, if I was uh, an Ulster fan, like, and not to be anyway condescending, I'd be immensely proud of my my team and how well they fought. Like, they lost the overall competition by one point. There's very little in that difference. Like, that's that is literally one decision that goes your way. And like, I'm, I'm sure he feels bad enough. Um, but the poor guy, like, it, like that to me is is the decision. You know, like to lose are able to kick on into another gear. We saw it in the last game, right? In the last uh, 10, 15 minutes, they kicked on to another gear anyway. So the fact that they did it against 14 men, I just think it was a little bit too much for Ulster to, to take. And it's such a shame. Like, like Ethan McElroy had two beautiful tries. Like, it was real. As you say, like, there was even a point, I think, I think it was Stephen Ferris or someone on comms said, like, I wish this game would go on forever. Like, it was a real, uh, 
it was two really, really good games. And I think, again, um, okay, there, there are decisions that can be questioned in this game, both for and against Ulster. But I, I, if it was me, um, and look, I would caveat it by saying that Connacht obviously have slightly different expectations in Ulster. But um, if it was me, I'd be really happy with the account my team gave themselves and how well they fronted up to a team that have won the competition five times. Who were, uh, you know, okay, we went out to the favourites, but I mean, to lose aren't too far behind. Leinster have been favourites, so um, no, I'd be I'd be really proud of the guys, and I think that like they, you know, again on a different day with a different bounce of a ball, they could have won that game. Um, and that's the thing I would hold on to if I if we'd lost to Leinster by one point, I'd be like, well, you know what, like that's one decision, that's one mistake, we can fix that as opposed to been fifty points adrift after two games, but like ah, what do we do now? Yeah, it's I know what you mean, and like it's so unfortunate Ulster that they they couldn't have done much more. You know, they came second in the pool, and you get rewarded with the reigning champions. You know, it's 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 one of those you go to Toulouse, you win. Like you couldn't have asked much more of the boys. Obviously, I said the red card was. Really unfortunate, really silly, and you know he will feel awful about that. And you know if they don't get that red card, I'm sure they do hold on. Obviously, hindsight you never know. But um, again, I know we've talked already in this podcast loads about Ulster's belief and do they believe that they should be here winning these games? I think when you when you run to lose that close over two legs, and you know, as I said, over two legs, you're like you're. It's not it's not just one fluky game. It's two solid games where, for majority of the games, you were the better team. It has to be huge for their hopes, uh, Sam. Just like uh, <laughs> you, you, your heart goes out to these Ulster fans. Not massively, no, because we have to deal with how what we have to deal with week in, week out. So they they they're they're having a decent enough show in this season, so they they can uh, they can lick their wounds, but they'll be fine. They're you know I think they're going to get to the business end of the URC, and I I personally have you know that them as second, maybe third favorites, like with, between uh, Leinster, some of the South African teams, so. I think they're having a very good season and they're they're they look like they're not at the peak. They look like they're in building modes. They they've got a really good crop of young players and they've done some serious business retaining them on some longer contracts. I'm, I'm so jealous of the fact that Ulster just let people know how long their contracts are for. It, it removes this ambiguity of us going, wonder who's playing next season. Uh, so you know, on the whole, I feel I feel sorry for him because the manner in the last, you know, is one point to to lose with a game that some people were writing them off for. We weren't on this. We thought that they definitely have what it takes. And I think they show, showed in the two games that they, they're they very, very close to being there. And I think that on a different day, they would have been one-point winners and they could go on. And I think the same in the URC. So, no, I think it's a, it looks like a really nice time up there in Ulster at the moment. You know, Even their, their media presence and everything is very positive. And you're kind of jealously looking at them from the West over here, kind of going, well, you know, it's it, it's attainable in a year or two it's like it's not like Dan McFarland showed up 10 years ago and has been building and building and building you know he's he's done it quite quickly he's amassed good players and it only takes a crop of a couple of young good players or a couple of good signings to come in you know you look at the difference Romulan has made from them being a good prospect team you know but not quite there to having someone of that experience just brings everyone up a little bit so I'm I'm extremely excited to see where Ulster can go from here because I think in the next year or two they'll really push on they'll get a trophy under their belts um, and I think they all believe that as well like I said at the Leinster game Hume's reaction after the try two Claremont games Toulouse away Toulouse at home I think that they're all games that they can look at and go look we were in that fight you know even the South African games they were shafted in one and they, they put up a good good account of themselves away in South Africa in a really tough condition so I, I don't think there's any reason why the next year or two they won't win something 
Yeah, I, I, I fully believe it now too. I, I said uh, the last few weeks I've been on the fence. I don't know if they actually are. I, I said I don't, talent-wise, I think they can. It's just I didn't know if they had the mindset to do it, and I think now they do. I want to. I do want to highlight uh, some good refereeing because sometimes we highlight some bad refereeing <laughs> more than good yeah. refereeing. But top match of Carly's handling of uh, Larry's. Um, Basically, the collision in the air with the with the Toulouse player. I can't remember who off the top of my head who it was. Um, but I thought that was brilliantly handled and common sense came through there, and it was just a penalty. I thought that was Westy. Do you agree with that, or uh, should that should that be a yellow card in this day and age? Um, no, I liked the way it was handled. Again, I, I guess I could have seen a yellow card for Lowry because he's the second player, and you usually have to give Judy Carey the player in the air. Um, but I think in that context, Lowry also gets a hand to the ball when he jumps. So like he's in, uh, some of the commentators are saying he might have overran it, but he was in a position to catch it. So um, it's a funny one because do, do you make the rule that if one player jumps, you have to jump the same height or higher? Otherwise, you're going to give away a penalty. So I I could have seen it in the yellow against him, but I like the way the referees explained it in that it was both players went for the ball they they decided it was a fair contest and that's why it was just a, a rugby incident. I actually, you know what? I probably I, I was surprised it wasn't a penalty to Ulster, even when they or a pen, sorry a penalty to Toulouse, even when they explained the logic and said like it wasn't going to be. I did think that maybe because Lowry was lower and you know knocks the man off his balance that it might have just been a, a rugby incident a penalty. But I was surprised it went to a rugby incident and a, and a scrum to Toulouse. But um, no, with I think penalties. the logic they give. Yeah, with the logic they gave, I don't really have a problem with the outcome, but I was surprised it wasn't a penalty to leave. Yeah, I agree. I just thought it was. I thought it was uh, a lot. A lot of the decisions these days, it's always you know erring on the side of caution. But I thought that one was just good common sense, and I, I, it was good to see. Basically, I just wanted to point that out. But a uh, quick look ahead to the quarterfinal lineup: Racing play Sale, Sta- um, La Rochelle play uh, Montpellier. With Leicester um, going to or hosting Leinster, uh, and then Munster host Toulouse, which would be a cracker. So really looking forward to those uh, quarterfinals, and then we'll see who gets on to the semis. Um, we'll briefly look ahead. Connacht are in South Africa for two weeks, uh, for uh, two games coming up in the next two weeks. Uh, they announced their travelling pack. Sam, anything really come out to you from this travelling pack? I think the Shane Bolton going is pretty exciting for us, uh, but overall a pretty good squad heading over. Yeah, an interesting squad. 28 is a small enough number to travel to South Africa with. I think it's almost going to be viewed as a, a semi-preseason. I don't think getting much in South Africa is really on the cards for anyone. So I'm not sure if they're they're going to be hugely going for it. It's it's very unlikely that we get into the top eight. You know, we're 11 points adrift at the moment with three games left. So, you know, two bonus point wins in South Africa and a bonus point against everybody get us, might get us there, but it's, that's, that's a very hard thing to do. So I, I think it's just an interesting squad that's been brought over 28 lads that maybe look like they're 28 lads that'll be there next season the surprise if that is the case is Tiernan I think a lot of talk that he might be on the way out and we haven't heard of a new deal yet so he's the only one out of the group that I don't think is confirmed to be there for next season so um, it looks like a semi-preseason group and the group that have been left behind look like they're gymming it and getting ready for Zebra. so I, I think yeah I'm, I'm excited to see Bolton I want to see a little bit more of him and uh, wouldn't mind seeing maybe Porch at fullback. I know I've been saying this for months now, but I'd like to see him at fullback and maybe Wooten on the wing because we haven't seen much of Wooten this season. I don't know if he's recovered. I know he had COVID for a while and he might be kind of struggling to recover so it might be why he's out. So hopefully we see that. And uh, yeah, it'd be good good to get at least a win or some positivity behind us and maybe the, the team, you know, management 
idea behind bringing a smaller squad the players that will be there next year is to to build up a good team kind of ethos while they're away and kind of get get almost like a tour and you, you know what tours can do they can kind of they can really grow squads so that could be on the cards as well yeah Westy this two week trip to South Africa what are you what are you wanting to see what do you think we will see um, are you apprehensive excited I'm a bit apprehensive um, you know I've, I've said before in previous weeks that just looking at Chelsea Sharks squad terrifies me. Um, the players are going to have available next week. Um, look at ideally we we get two wins um, and we go into that Zebra game with a place in the. I don't even care about the quarterfinal to be honest. With a place in Heineken Cup next year available, you know, a possibility for us. Um, realistically, look at I, I'd like to see us improve. Um, there's areas that have been a, a problem now all season, and I think. You know, we can point to games where we thought we turned a corner and then we continue to get pumped. And you can say, oh, well, it was Leinster the last two times. But I think South Sea Sharks in particular, that's nothing against Lions because they're a great side as well. But Sharks in particular have the ability. I think, who did they beat? They won their last game in at home, 51-3. Um, I think it was against one of the Welsh sides. Like They have the ability to do that to us as well. So I think we have to see some development now from from our game plan if, if what you guys are saying and this is a squad of players that will be around next season then we need to see improvement and we need to see development and we need to see some of the problems that have been reoccurring all season we need to see some of that rectified and I'm, I'm not saying that as like oh like it should be easy because it's not going to be in the conditions in the heat away in South Africa it's, it's going to be extremely difficult um, but we need to see signs of improvement now because if we've nothing left to fight for it if if be, if getting into the hiding cup next year is really beyond our grasp which math, mathematically it's looking unlikely uh, we wouldn't just have to win every game it, teams ahead of us would have to get no points from their next three games um then we need to show some development we need to show some um yeah some development of individuals and maybe some development of our game plans like i said it's not an it's not something that's just blamed on players or just blamed on a on a on a system it's both now have to evolve and Hopefully, as you guys said, with, with such a small squad going, it can be a really intensive little tour for uh, for a, a core group of players. Yeah, Sam, what do you what would you like to see over the next two weeks? That's a very difficult question. Uh, I would love to see two bonus point wins. That's that's what you want. But going to South Africa, you want to see good signs. You want to see group camaraderie. Maybe a little bit of changing it up, getting some minutes into some of the lads that haven't played, the likes of Bolton or a Wooten. Uh, getting them a bit more experience and coming away from it without sounding like the really patronizing kind of thing, not disgracing ourselves, you know, getting getting close, maybe sneaking one win or getting some bonus points because it's it's so difficult to travel to South Africa. It's been shown already. I think only one Northern Hemisphere team has won in South Africa this thus far, and that was in Sharks in a day that was very, very wet and wild. So it's going to be really difficult to get anything to from it, but if we can raise the morale by getting some good performances, that's all I can really ask for it now going into this season. It's such a difficult task to try and get into the top eight from here where we are at the moment with the games in hand that other teams have or the, the points advantages they have already. So you're looking at it going, just play as well as you can, build on it for next year, give ourselves, you know, you, you see that all the time in, in sports when the, when the pressure's off because there's nothing really to play for. They've got a couple of good performances and you can use that as a platform to build for next year. And I think that that's what Friendly is looking to do. 
I think that that's hinted in the squad that he's brought. It does very much look like a team of players that are going to be around next year, and he's going to want to build around that and maybe try and get some sort of tour good feelings out of it and hopefully a win maybe too. Yeah, I think that's, you know, as I agree with pretty much everything you said there too. just want to see, you know, have fun and express yourself. If friendly wants to, yeah, treat this as like, a, let's try some things for next year. I'm okay with that too. I have no real problems with that. So uh, I'd be interested to see. And hopefully, just we don't get, you know, another hammer. And I wouldn't be good for the lads before the end of the season. So before they come home for Zebra. So uh, come up to the end of the season though soon, boys. Season's flying by, innit? It's mad. Wrap it up then. So cheers, boys. Appreciate it. Bye.